I'm going to go back a few weeks in my notes and finish where I pick, I'm going to pick up where I left off just as soon as I find this. Uh, who, we've all been to the movies. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen, okay, so I'll, I'll, it's better if I give it to you as an anecdote, I guess. I went to see Man of Steel. Remember Man of Steel, Superman? <laughs> I went to the movies to see Man of Steel. And the thing about that movie is, obviously, it's fictional. But it looked real. And while I was watching it, I'm watching a man fly and lift buildings over his head and all this wonderful stuff. And it all looked real. My eyes are stupid. They look at it and go, that look real to me. My ears, they listening for sounds. I hear them whooshing through the air. Sound real to me. Even got emotional at the high points and the low points. First time he took off and flew into the sun, I was like, yeah, that's dope. <laughs> My senses are dumb, just like yours. Whatever information you put in front of it, they receive it as real. They're not deciding what's real and what's fake. It looked real, it sounded real, even felt real. It's my mind who filters whether that's fact or fiction. I know it's fiction, so even though it looks and feels and sounds real, I choose what to do with the information that I'm getting. Because it's fictional, even though it's having an effect on my senses as if it were real, it's still fictional. It was manufactured to fool my senses into making it look and feel real. They can do that with special effects and stuff now. And if I allowed my mind to believe it, I would think it was real. Hollywood's good at that. I like guns. Hollywood is one of the worst mediums for explaining guns to people because they get guns wrong more than anything else. And a lot of what people think about guns comes from what they've seen in movies. I went to the shooting range with my family, with my wife and my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. And we're shooting. And if you've ever been to a shooting range, it's very loud. You can't hear yourself talk in the shooting range. And my mother-in-law, and I'm talking about you, but I love you. Her and my wife, they, they go outside because there's, there's glass, soundproof glass on the other side. And she says, when I watch the movies, they be standing next to each other shooting and talking in the movies. It's too loud in here. I thought it was going to be like that. I said, no. You shoot a gun in a closed space, it's extremely loud. You got to wear double ear protection. She said, well, in the movies, they be having conversations with each other. I said, they're not shooting real guns in the movies. <laughs> they're not shooting real guns in, in those movie scenes. But if, you, but if everything you know about guns comes from movies, you're going to think that's how it is in real life because you can absorb fiction long enough till it becomes real to you. Because your senses don't know. You have to be educated by something other than your five physical senses to know truth from fiction. Hollywood always gets guns wrong. There's, there's few things Hollywood gets wrong a lot. 
but I don't have time to get into that. Computers is another one of those. Faith is based in truth. Fear is based in fiction. But you are responsible for knowing the difference. Because oftentimes, faith does not appeal to your senses. And fiction or fear does. And the mistake a lot of us make is we wait for an appeal to our senses before we move. The Lord has been dealing heavily with me since I say the beginning of this year on overcoming the need for validation from our senses. Faith moves because it knows the truth. I can enjoy going to a film and watching a fictional thing and not take it seriously. When I was a kid, that's why, you know, children, they watch that kind of stuff, and when they're real young, they think it's real. Then they go climb up on the roof of the house and jump off. Because they are not educated enough and capable of determining fact from fiction. So you got to make things real plain and simple for children. Well, spiritual children often have the same problem. They see a thing, and they, they just believe it. And they say things like, seeing is believing. That's not true. But they, they believe whatever they see and hear because they're more in tune with their senses than they are with the word. And they don't train to overcome their physical reality. So they never develop any faith because faith comes from the word. The word is more real than what you see in your day-to-day -day life. But the reality of it is experienced inside before it's experienced outside because we're internal creatures, not external ones. And what sin does is it over-focuses you on the external. This is my preface statement. Because the process of faith is what we call believing. And we've, we've been talking about different elements of this process. Remember I told you about my diesel engine last time? I couldn't figure out why I just couldn't get off of that thing. But then the Lord, when I got home, he began to show me. He said, that's because it's a process that works. I've worked on big engines, small engines. They all work the exact same way. Because when you design something to function under many circumstances, it's got to be reliable. So you want to make it uncomplicated. There's a rule. There's a mechanical principle. The more moving parts, the more likely it is to fail. You want a machine with the fewest moving parts. Because that's why I don't like German cars. They run great when they're brand new. But they over-engineer everything. So there's 12 moving parts in a German engine, which is like three in a Japanese engine. So the Japanese engine can run forever because if that part breaks, you swap that part out, you, you keep going. You fix a part in a German engine like a Mercedes-Benz or a BMW, any European car, and you're going to be fixing it forever. Because just when something gets fixed, something else breaks. It used not to be that way in the 80s. Mercedes made a great motor in the 80s, but they couldn't sell any because they weren't breaking. So they, you buy a Mercedes in the 80s, it would last forever. So in the 90s, they decided we have to engineer faults into the motor so that they'll break over a certain period of time so we can sell more cars. That's how that works. Well, it's the same way in faith. You want a system that works all the time under any circumstance. 
does, it's not relying on feelings, it's not relying on senses, it's not relying on anything happening in the natural. So it's got to be consistent. So I began to inquire of the Lord, or he began to reveal to me how to make faith, not make faith, because we don't make faith do anything, how to understand the system of faith in a way that it's consistent beyond anything that can come against it. Because every time you've had a quote-unquote failure of your faith, it's because you got out of the system. The system works every time. The system does not fail. But you can turn it on and off depending on your understanding of how the system works. And a lot of times, we think that we didn't get a manifestation of our faith because there's a fiction happening outside that we choose to believe. And we say, well, this didn't work, so let me try something else. Or if, we, if we're not brave enough to say that it didn't work, we say, I must have missed it somewhere. So let me switch gears and try something else. But a lot of times, it's not that you missed it. It's that you abandoned it. Because the first rule of faith, if I had to come up with a list of rules, the first rule would be faith is forever. Once you start, you never stop. If you go to Hebrews 11, and I'll just go there and then I'll reference it. You know, we call Hebrews 11 the hall of faith. And, and for good reason, because it lists a lot of men and women who accomplished great things because of their faith. But the one message near the end of the, of the chapter that I found to be most edifying was the fact that they all died having not received the promise. They were all moving in faith towards that promise, but they all ran out of life before they got to it. That's important because the paths, the trails that they blazed going after that one promise, who is Christ, caused them to do things mere men and women would never have done. And they went all the way to the end of their life and they never received the promise. So they passed the torch to the next generation and then they went as far as they could go to the end of their life, having not received the promise. So that by the time it got to us, we come into the promise that Abraham believed for. Abraham believed for the Messiah and changed everything about his life because of his faith in a promise he never lived to see. But you notice he didn't change back as he got older. He didn't say, well, I'm too old. It's probably not going to happen now. So do what you want, Isaac. No. He passed the blessing of Abraham to his son. And the blessing of Abraham is attached to the promise of God. So that the promise would live on and Abraham's faith passed on to his son. Can I explain something to you? you are, for those of you that have children or desire to have children, you are supposed, your children are supposed to inherit your faith. You're not just leaving them a financial or a physical inheritance. You are actually supposed to pass your faith on to them. Your faith is supposed to ground you in the truth to such a degree that it affects everything about your life. And then when you have children, you pass that faith on to them. Everything that I'm doing now and that my sister is doing is a continuation of the faith 
that our parents sold into us. It's similar, I could say almost identical to being the child of a famous athlete or a famous musician or a famous business person. And as a child is growing up, they see dad and mom so focused on that goal. They see them win that Olympic medal or they see them build that company. And then when they get to a certain age, the parent imparts all of that unto them. And the child picks up and they start in the same line. And we always look at families like that and go, well, that's, he gonna take over for his daddy when he get to a certain age or he gonna be the next champion just like his dad was. And sometimes that works out, sometimes it doesn't in the natural. But that's because legacy is built on faith. Amen. So if I had to define faith, which I really don't have to, but I like defining stuff. Faith has a character of persistence and obsession. When faith locks onto a thing, it never lets it go because faith is forever. That's the first key point you have to understand about faith. And a lot of times, we fail the faith test because we give up, not because we did anything wrong. Because faith is very easy, but it's very persistent. And it's persistence that wins the day, not technique. But if you don't go to the gym every day, you can, be the, you can train. You can have the most perfect training split. You can have perfect form, perfect technique. If you go to the gym once a month, it will not matter. But you can train wrong every day and get better results. Because as you train, you learn. You don't learn at home, you learn in the gym. I pulled more muscle learning how to lift than I did learning sitting on the couch watching other guys lift. You pull a muscle every now and then learning so your technique or your form is bad. But that just goes into the pile of stories you have to tell. I'm trying to get to Mark 11, but I, I, I'm kind of doing a big recap. We talked about faith without works is dead, or rather dead faith produces no works, because faith is active. You don't have faith, sit on your butt. You might want something, but you don't have faith for it. Now I'm going to jump ahead to my new notes, or my new word notes, I should say. Now, last time we were together, we talked about faith begins in the heart. We went to the parable of the sower, and we talked about how the word being the source of faith is sowing into the heart. One thing that I wanted to harp on was that, with the exception of the wayside, every seed sown in the heart produced a crop. It was the other stuff in the heart that forfeit the full manifestation. Because when seed is sown, it, it's going to grow. How far it gets in that process is determined by the condition of the heart. But if it gets in there, it's gonna do something. And so one of your responsibilities as a living heart for faith is to preserve the environment of your heart so that whenever the word is sown, it's free to grow all the way. Because every one of us, at some point or another, has had the word sown into our heart and then choked out by something, or not enough root, 
before the test and trial came. And let me tell you something. You can't prevent the test, but you can prepare for it. You can't prevent it, but you can prepare for it. You can have the root deep enough that when the wind starts to blow, the tree doesn't fall over. Because faith is simple. We've made it complicated because we don't finish anything. It's like learning how to play an instrument. It's a very simple process if you do everything you're told every day. I have students that practice. I have students that don't practice. The ones that practice do well. The ones that don't, don't. There's, it's just that easy. I've never taught any. Playing an instrument is very easy to do. It's just a lot of small steps you get good at for the next big step. We talked about access to the heart is controlled by the mind. And how your mind is that filter. I made a point that I didn't get finished about internal and external communication through the mind. Your mind is a two-way street, not a one-way. Not everything that gets into your mind comes from the five physical senses. A lot of times it comes from the inside. It's something in your spirit talking out of you. That has to pass through your mind and you get to determine what your mind does with all that information. Because it's two-way communication. It's not just one way. It's not just me saying something to you and then you deciding what to do about it. A lot of times it's you saying something to your mind. Most of my conversations are with me talking to my mind. Because my mind is not me. Your mind is not you. Your mind is a part of you. It's a tool. And you decide what, to whom it's going to be allied to. You decide its allegiance. So when my mind hears something that goes against my choice of allegiance, I kick it out of my mind. How do you do that? With your mouth. Because we talked about the conditional, the heart is revealed by the mouth. We went to Matthew 12 for that. Therefore, faith speaks whatever is in the heart. Your faith or your fear speaks whatever you let into your heart. It starts in your mind, and it's trying to get to your heart. Now, Mark 11. For the fans in the front. <laughs> Go to Mark 11, chapter 22. This is very simple. But if you receive it as revelation, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make everything so much easier. Because one thing I've learned, you know, I've... I play four instruments, and I play three of them pretty well and one of them not that great. But my dad, when I first became a musician, he said, son, if you're going to learn an instrument, learn it all the way. Get as good as you possibly can at it. Don't half learn it. Learn it all the way. Even if you don't use it. And I didn't get the revelation out of it back then, but I've been getting it lately. Because when you go to develop a new skill, what you're really learning is how to learn. You're learning how to learn. When you learn how to learn, you can learn anything. And it opens up the capacity to gain mastery at anything. For me, 
it was learning music because I was interested enough in being a musician to go through the process of learning it. Since I've been a teacher, I've recognized I've had multiple types of students. But the one thing that's been consistent about all of my successful students is their interest keeps them coming back to learn more. I might have to teach that thing to them 10 different ways before it clicks. But if they lose interest in the process, it'll never click. Then I've got some students who get it right away. I call them my stony ground students. They get it right away because they're smart, they're capable, but they're not that interested. Somebody's making them do it. Or they're kind of interested, but if they don't get good fast, they, they lose interest. So it's not their ability to understand and process. Their heart's not in it. So as soon as I get them to a point where, okay, now we're going to up the difficulty a little bit, they fall off. Those are the ones that bother me the most because they could be great. They could be great, but they run out of steam as soon as it gets to a point where their interest meets difficulty. Because I don't care how talented you are, it's something that's going to be hard for you to learn to do Amen. in whatever you're trying to do. And if difficulty is going to cause you to give up, you're going to fail at everything you try. My dad was explaining all of this to me in a much simpler way because it was revelation. It wasn't information. But I get it now. You learn how to learn. And the way you learn anything is persistence, dedication, interest. You learn techniques that work for you. Might be different from one person to the next. But when you want to do something or you want to become something, you keep hammering away until it unlocks for you. And that is the character of faith. This mountain's going to move because I'm not. Because mountains respect that. And I think what we... Mark 11, I'm going to read it. Verse 20, we'll start at 20. We know, this, we know this. Jesus curses the fig tree, and then they leave. And when he cursed the fig tree, nothing happened that their senses could detect. Their senses saw nothing. They walked away. And in the morning as they passed by, now they're coming back, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, Behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have the God kind of faith. What is God kind of faith? What does a God do when he speaks? See, you have, a lot of times, you have regular people kind of faith. And a regular person can be moved by circumstance. You don't have God kind of faith most of the time. That's why stuff don't happen for you. When God speaks, once his word is spoken, the thing has to move because he won't. God is immovable. James said it this way. Let him ask in faith nothing wavering. Because he that wavereth it's like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Don't let that man think he's going to receive anything from God. Because faith has a concrete character. Once I have spoken, I'm not moving. 
if it takes 100 years, I will stare at this mountain for 100 years until it moves into that sea. And that sounds very basic, but that's the toughest thing for most Christians to do. Because we, most of the time, and I'm going to take you back a few weeks, remember we talked about living by faith versus using our faith? Most of the time we're trying to use our faith to solve a problem instead of living by faith. If you only use your faith to solve problems, you will be moved. Because that problem might take a while to get out of your way. It's going to play chicken with you. It's going to see which one of us is going to turn first. But if you live by faith, you don't turn. Because you're not speaking to that mountain to get the mountain to move. You're speaking to the mountain because that's what gods do. Then he says, verse 23, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So the believing process is very simple. My confidence in my words is what is revealed by what I say. And my confidence in my words is attached to the faith I got from it. And the faith I got from it comes from the word that's so deep in my heart that it is a part of me now. So there's a, there's a, a chain of activity. I start with the word because another rendition of, of Mark eleven twenty one 21 says, have faith in God's word because God is his word. So having faith in God is the same as having faith in God's word. And we know that faith comes from the word. I got to keep repeating these things so that everybody watching, not y'all because y'all got it, but everybody else watching or who will watch later, you know, it builds on itself because it would take me two days of straight preaching to teach everything from scratch from the beginning. So I got to try to I kind of bounce back and forth. Some of this I keep repeating myself because repetition is key when you want to get good at something. You're not going to hear it the first time. You're going to hear it the 20th time. But once you hear it, you hear it. The word is the beginning. Jesus taught us what to do with the word when it's sown in our heart. Then he said the fruit of the word is revealed through our speech. So I know when the word has fully manifested in my heart because it comes out of my mouth. You can repeat the word and it not be coming out of your heart. A lot of times a person of faith, like Pastor Diana, will come up here and say something that's root in her heart and fruit in her mouth. And you'll repeat after her, but it's not fruit in your mouth yet. It might just be seed. You don't stop confessing it, but you have to let it develop in you first. How do I gauge when it's growing? How do I know when it's growing? Well, when my situation and circumstances change, right? Wrong. When you change. Because the first thing the world's going to affect is your perspective on your problem. Amen. Jesus saw a tree with no fruit on it and cursed it. The other disciples just saw a tree. Jesus saw a mountain and said, I can move that mountain just by talking to it. 
And everybody else went, huh? Jesus was on a boat, and it was in a storm. And the disciples were saying, well, we did. And Jesus said, it's just a storm, guys. What you, what you scared of? What did he scold them about? He said, are you of little faith? Every time Jesus scolded his disciples about something, it had to do with their faith. Because when Jesus, and notice what Jesus used in every one of those circumstances. He said something. Because the word planted in produces a fruit that comes out of the mouth. Now, your confidence in that process is what we call believing. So Jesus says this. That was a good note, by the way. The, your confidence in that process is what we call believing. Believing is not, well, I hope it works. Believing is, I know this process. I have fruit of this process. You don't believe anything that has not gone through that process. You're hoping for stuff, but you don't believe it yet. Because what does Jesus say next? Therefore, I say unto you, therefore means, based on what I just said, I say this. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them. And you shall have them. How many times have you prayed for something you didn't get? And you thought you were believing for it. How many times do we use the phrase, I'm believing God for this. I'm believing God for that. You're not believing God for anything that did not start with a seed, a root, a fruit, a word, and then a stand. That's the process of believing. Just because I told you you can have a million dollars and God will bless you to be a millionaire and you take my word for it, that doesn't mean you believe it. You believe me, but you don't believe the word yet because it has not had time to become a part of you yet. And this is where we mess up. That's why church hopping is so bad because it, inter it interrupts the root process. You go to a church for a little while and as long as the preacher is saying something that feels good to your senses, or say something you like that sounds kind of slick, you, you hang around. And then when they switch subjects, you go to another church and start all over again in a new church. And you never take root. People that can't root can't get fruit. That wasn't meant to be catchy. That's not even that catchy, but it, it rhymed. You can't root, you don't bear fruit. Because faith has a character. And I've been trying to find a deeper meaning to it, but there is none. I've been trying to develop a more educated, philosophical approach to faith, because I like educated, philosophical things. But the more I dig, the simpler it becomes. The more I dig, the simpler it comes down to this simple point. Seed, root, fruit word, and stand in that order. That's why, that's why Abraham died not having received, but never changed his word. It took 10 years for fruit in Abraham. But once he had it, he had it. By the time he was taking his son up that mountain to sacrifice him, he was all fruit. 
I said last time that sometimes faith can look crazy. But it only looks crazy because you can't see the fruit in the other guy. Anybody on the outside watching Abraham take his son up that mountain, if you were a casual observer and you see him put that boy on that altar and get ready to kill him, you're thinking, this man's crazy. He done waited all his life for a son, and now he's up here talking about he's going to sacrifice him. That looks crazy, but that's because you can't see inside of Abraham. You don't see the fruit. But he put the word in his mouth and never took it out, and it became a root in his heart. And every so often, God would come in and check up on him. And the root was so deep that at that point, Abraham was willing to kill his son in the name of his faith. And when his son asked him, where is the sacrifice? He said, the Lord provided the sacrifice. And the Bible says that he literally saw, Abraham literally saw his son back to life in a vision. He received his son in the spirit. So I got this, this beautiful image. Let me ask you a question. How much time I got? I got five minutes. Who planted, who likes corn? Who likes corn? You like corn? Everybody likes corn. Well, most people like corn. Corn's good. Let me ask you a question. Who planted the corn you ate? I don't know. Who planted the first corn? Everybody should know this. Who's brave enough to answer that question? Who planted the first corn? You said Adam. I applaud your bravery. <laughs> well, who came first, the plants or Adam? The plant. Who planted the first? Right. We've genetically modified a lot of plants since then, but we never invented one. So the corn you ate, is a long descendant of the corn God planted. Is that a fair statement? Because he commanded the plants to grow. Where does the seed come from? It comes from the fruit. It doesn't come from the seed. It comes from the fruit. So to have seed, there must have been fruit before the seed. Is that fair? The Bible says that in Genesis, right? That all the seed bears the fruit, or the fruit bears the seed, rather. So if you have seed, you had to have fruit before it, because your seed didn't come out of the air. It came from the fruit of something. We sow seed. We use our money. We say, I'm sowing a seed, right? The Lord gave me this, and it changed my mindset about sowing. We always think that seed, time, and harvest is a line. Seed, time, and harvest, right? We see it as a line. He said, but it's not a line. He said, it's a circle. He said, well, the earth remains seed, time, and harvest, right? Yeah. He said, it's not a line. You don't start with seed. You start with harvest. Because you got to have fruit to get seed. I said, you got to show me that one, Lord. I ain't never seen that before. He said, the seed you're sowing, whether it's whatever your seed is, in whatever form it takes, is the product of a harvest that was reaped. And it's your confidence in that process that causes you to sow. No farmer has ever sown a seed and hoped it grew. 
what happened is the first farmer, who was Adam, saw a seed come out of this fruit. And he knew how the process worked because the process was working before he worked it. Because he was confident in the process, he said, well, if I sow some seed, I'll get some more fruit. And then he did it. And then his son did it. Then his son did it. And everybody's sons did it. And our ancestors did it. And now we do it. Sister Regina, you have a garden. You don't put seed in your garden not sure how the process works. Everything you do from weeding your garden to fertilizing your garden to keeping rodents out of your garden is because you already believe that all I got to do is keep the seed in there and keep it healthy. Seed knows what to do. You wouldn't sow otherwise because that would be gambling. I'm going to just toss it and see what happens. Nobody gambles when they garden or when they farm. They have confidence in a process that existed before they got into it. If you are a sower, you sow money, you sow financially, don't sow like you're starting something. You've never started anything with your sowing. You're jumping into a moving river. And it's your confidence in that process that causes you to get into it at all. Because if you don't have confidence in that process, what you're going to do is sow and then wait a little bit and then bail out. Because you don't know when it's supposed to come. And you don't really know how to, you don't really believe in the process. But it's not a line. It's a circle. And a lot of you got harvest that somebody else picked up your harvest. Because you left it. I heard Jesse Lathanus preach that once. He said, you, he said, every seed you've ever sown has yielded a harvest. That's all it can do. But you might not have been there to get it. And I, that hurt me, man, because I had to think about all the seed I've sown that I left the harvest somewhere. Because sometimes your harvest comes through instruction. It'll be, all right, go do that. And you don't know where that's taking you, but it's taking you to the field where your harvest is. We sow a lot of seed we don't reap because we think I sow and then I sit and it's going to come to me. The Bible didn't say that. But the process always works because we didn't start it. You've never started a process with your zone. You entered a process that was already in motion, and you joined up with the process. That should encourage you to sow. Because if, it's, if God started the process, it's just like the sun and the moon. You can't start it. You can't stop it. You can't stop it. That's the beautiful thing about it. You can't stop it. You can just get in and out of it. If, I, if you start a garden and don't attend to it, you know what happens? Weeds grow in it. Other stuff grows. It does not die and just stay dead. Just stuff you don't want grows in it. But something always grows. Because God started the process. You didn't start it by sowing your first crop. That was a freebie. Faith is a process. Man, that lit me up. Because I said, I haven't sown as much as I could because I'm trying to position myself perfectly before I put the seed in the ground. Like, I can mess it up. All that got me. See, I got excited about that because I realized something. I can't make the sun rise. I can't make the rain fall. God started this process. The money in your pocket, you didn't print. 
unless you're a criminal. You didn't print it. It's somebody's harvest. Somebody planted a seed to build that business. Somebody planted a seed to start that company that you work for. The company that's your client, if you're the company owner, you're eating some, you took somebody's fruit, and out of that fruit came some seed. And all you got to do is jump into the circle with them. You just got to jump into the process. And we be trying to line everything up before we plant. Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a person who's happy to give because their confidence comes from their knowledge that we didn't start it and we can't stop it. The only thing we can do is get in and out of it. And you'll live in a land of plenty and die of starvation. Got to make it simple. You got to make it all simple because that's when it works the best. Amen? That last part went just... It was in there, man. I think that was the whole point of the night. That was for somebody. It was for me, if it wasn't for you. Because it's up in my seed. I promise you that. 